Welcome back to another edition of Billy West Live. Really pleased to welcome back to the show a regular Dr. Greg Granger, political science professor at Northwestern State University. Greg, welcome back to Billy West Live. Billy, it's great to be here. I appreciate you giving me a call. You bet. Greg, wanted to get you back on to talk about your thoughts. We spoke several weeks ago about the Afghanistan situation. Uh, now that we've withdrawn, I wanted to get your broad view of what's happened in Afghanistan. So let's go back to, say, April or May and bring it forward, Greg. Give us your, give us your overall broad view of what's happened in Afghanistan. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, I think the first point I'd like to make, and, uh, you know, this is obviously a complicated situation, is to get, to get a full grasp or a better grasp of what this is all about, you really have to keep contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time. Uh, it's not all of one or another. So uh, going back to April, we did start warning Americans and others that they needed to start getting out. Unfortunately, a lot of them did not heed that warning. Uh, on the other hand, the lack of apparent lack of, of full planning of this operation. And this is going to be dug out, I'm sure, in Congress and other commissions and blue ribbon commissions and all this. I certainly hope so. We need to figure out exactly what plans were there, what plans went wrong, and what plans simply were not there. And that's very important. So execution problems of the evacuation from the very beginning through the very last days is necessary. A uh, big problem, of course, with what I call documentation, trying to figure out who we were dealing with, who needed to get out, who did we get out. I mean, we're going to be looking back on this real soon and say, who exactly did we get out? And uh, the, there's already some reportings that a lot of non-American, non-Afghans were, were on those planes. Well, we need to know who they are, where they are, and what's going to happen to them. Uh, there's a situation that has been talked about extensively and to some degree, I believe, with exaggeration about the equipment we left behind. On the one hand, a lot of that equipment was not ours. It was made in America or provided by America, but it was provided to the Afghan government and the Afghan uh, military. And a lot of it was already old. Some of it made it out of the country into Uzbekistan. Uh, we, I've seen videos of Afghan army driving Humvees into Iran. Now that's a bit of a victory for Iran, but again, these are 10, 15 year old trucks at least and uh, here there's a video of the Taliban asking Iran to return those men and that equipment, and they're basically saying no. So maybe they'll make a deal with it or, or not. Um, we did destroy a large CIA facility. We destroyed a lot of ammunition. We made inoperable some of the helicopters, if not all. The planes that were left behind, they can't use them. There are no spare parts. There are no mechanics to work on them. We suspect that a lot of the people, or some of the people who did escape, uh, they really could have used to work on these things. So it's hardly to say it's a strategic victory. I've heard people say that we left behind $85 billion of equipment. That's what we provided over a 20-year period. That's not what was necessarily in-country and working and in good order and of strategic importance. A lot of it is basically surveillance equipment. So again, some good, some bad there. Um, things didn't go great in the short term. Losing those 13 armed forces is very difficult and very tragic. It's happened before. We lost a couple of thousand people over the last 20 years. It's gonna happen again in other operations. Uh, that doesn't excuse it. It's, it's certainly a tragedy. But we can also think without too much effort of how it could have gone much, much worse. 
Uh, we know that they fire rockets at us, and we were able to take those rockets down. What if the, one of those rockets or machine gun fire would have hit a transport plane and taken it down with hundreds of people aboard? You know, that did not happen, though it easily could have happened. Um, so there's, uh, you know, again, there's these, um, these good and bad, it could be worse, it could be better situations that we have to deal with. On the last podcast, I mistakenly used the word Dresden from World War II, and I wanted to use the word Dunkirk, the British evacuation from Dunkirk. Well, the fact is they left behind tens of thousands of pieces of equipment and uniforms that were taken by the Germans. Well, it hurts and it stinks, basically, to see the Taliban walking around with our guns and our uh, uniforms on. But again, in the long run, that is not a strategic problem. You know, sooner or later, those uniforms and guns are going to give out. And so it's it's a complicated situation in, in that regard. Um, we want to talk a little bit about, I guess, what we call the optics. Right. The, uh, how things look. Well, it certainly looks bad for the United States, even though I think in the long term, we're going to look back on this and say, again, a tragedy to lose 13 people. But we got out over 120,000. Maybe we left behind some people who should have been able to get out. But we're talking in the hundreds as compared to hundreds of thousands. And uh, so I think the short-term optics and the long-term optics are going to be very different. We've proven that we could do this amazing job of getting of evacuation, uh, of, of using these planes in one airport in a dangerous situation. That, that's a massive proof of American power and American will to save people. Well, and I think the military, you know, obviously got called on to do a very difficult extraction and as the U.S. military always performs uh, in a magnificent fashion and did a wonderful job in a very unsecure environment. But, but Greg, I do want to get your thoughts. When, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, this was sort of escalating and becoming much more problematic. It became even more problematic. Uh, and then obviously the 13 soldiers got killed. But the intelligence failures that seem obvious, I mean, this is your expertise. This is your area where you write about a lot. And I, I want to get your thoughts. Where were our intelligence failures that maybe either misled or misinformed the Biden administration where they didn't have better intelligence, frankly, to make better decisions? Where were those failures? Well, if we're going to talk about the, um, the 13 that, well, the attack, uh, the, 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 let's begin there. If we begin with the suicide bomber, uh, there's something that I haven't seen widely reported, but what appears to be the fact is that we were closing those gates and it was actually the British, our British allies who asked us to keep the gates open for a few more hours so they could get people out of that barren hotel that was nearby. And so we did our ally a favor by opening the gates back or keeping the gates open. Uh, and that's how uh, the son of a gun with a suicide vest was able to get through. So in terms of intelligence, we knew for days, the president was saying, everybody was saying in public, we know they're going to attack or they're going to try to attack. Pinpoint intelligence to yeah. a specific person wearing a specific vest in a sea of people. Uh, that simply just is, is too much to ask. So we had the, the intelligence going in. Um, there's reports that the Taliban themselves helped to prevent several more attacks during this time. That's going to be, we're going to have to flesh that out, see what's true and what's not true, but that is being talked about. 
So I don't think it was as much a failure. I, I know some of them will feel like a failure because their compatriots are dead uh, and, some, and some wounded. But again, in the big picture, in the long term, what we were able to prevent, as opposed to what we were not able to prevent, uh, is an interesting balance. And we're going to have to work on that over time as more information becomes available. And Greg, I guess I was asking a little bit more global question about the collapse of the Afghan army and government. You know, that seems to be where the major failure was from our intelligence community, is that they didn't predict that these guys would just cut and run and not defend Kabul. Uh, that didn't happen, and it seemed as if the Biden administration either got bad information uh, or misinformation, but it was clearly they weren't prepared for it. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. If we're going to kind of extrapolate outwards to the more general, uh, that's going to have to be sorted out uh, over, the, over time, over investigations and, and such as that, because indeed, we thought, from everything I could tell, we thought we would have more time. And... The, the fact that the president jumped on a helicopter, stuck to a cash, and got the heck out of there, that the army basically gave up immediately. Many of them say, well, we were taught to fight under American air cover, and there was no air cover, so they couldn't fight. That's a problem of how we trained them in a certain degree. Uh, but it's also a problem that we did not predict, that they would simply fade away, uh, just like we didn't quite see the Iraqi army simply fading away and putting on uh, you know, guerrilla clothes and attacking us through IEDs. We didn't <laughs> right. see that quite as much when we invaded Iraq. Well, it's kind of the same here. Uh, we didn't read the political tea leaks very clearly. When, you know, we knew the president was, was corrupted. Many of his people, many in the military, uh, were misperforming, were not performing up to speed. But again, to pinpoint exactly how much time you have in a situation, whether it's 11 days or 25 days or 100 days, that's very difficult to sort out, especially since we moved a lot of people out of there uh, prior to the Biden administration. You know, we, we, we went down to 2,500. Um, and so we didn't have the people on the ground as much as we did before. That's not laying blame. It's simply a fact that we did not have as many people in theater as we did prior. Should we have accounted for that somehow? Well, quite likely. How could we have done that? That's what we're going to have to figure out. But you're absolutely right. We, I, I certainly did. I don't, I don't know if anybody who really knew this would fall apart as quickly as it did, you know, yeah, that's, that's it, a tough issue. it's a difficult political issue for Joe Biden. It's on his watch. And to his credit, Absolutely. you know, he has stepped up to the plate and said, look, this is on me. I'm, we're not going back in. We're getting out of this war. And, you know, no matter the political optics, I think that's the right decision. Now, let me get your expert opinion about where we go from here, a peak forward. Uh, using soft power to continue to try to influence certain things in Afghanistan to protect human rights. But how, how, how do you see this working over the next five or ten years in Afghanistan? Well, in the short term, I don't see it working very well. Uh, you know, we don't have people there. Uh, we know bad things are already happening. Bad things will happen. I think we're going to remain engaged with the over the horizon, as is the, the new buzzword, uh, to, to have targeted attacks when we see bad things happening. But let's look at what the Taliban is faced with. Um, their hospitals are running out of oxygen and fuel. They're running out of money. They don't have access to all the money that the previous government had. They have. They do have enemies. They have. There are about 20 organized 
militant groups spread around Afghanistan, ISIS-K as we call it, uh, the worst probably, the most organized and, and deadly. And they do not like the Taliban. Uh, there's another nationalist organization that has resisted in the past that are resisting right now. They've already killed 600 Taliban in the last two weeks. So um, Taliban are going to be faced with very difficult questions. How are they going to govern? They've got the world watching even more than we did in the 90s. We have social media, uh, video cameras, all this business. Um, are they going to have to design a coalition government and allow other groups to come in and help govern them. Uh, what kind of deals are they going to have to make and with whom to get the fuel and the money and the, uh, the, the infrastructure that they need to try to, to operate uh, the, the country? They cannot operate simply by enforcing Sharia law as they interpret it. There has to be food, water, shelter, hospitals, school, you know, some sort of schools, etc. Uh, how exactly are they going to do that? That's a long-term question. Well, say the next year or so for the Taliban to figure out for itself, and it could fail disastrously, quite frankly, um, with the rest of the world putting pressure. Now, on the other hand, there's some open questions. What exactly is Pakistan doing and going to do? What is Iran doing and what is China doing? These are three very important long-term questions. Um, that, that we have to work on, that we need intelligence, that we need strategy to try to, to work on. And in some ways, it's tempting to say, well, let them have that mess. Uh, you know, as we said before, the Brits had it, the Russians had it, we had it, let somebody else have it. Well, that may not be good enough because it's talking, we're talking about a balance of power, we're talking about the rise of China, the threats of Iran. Uh, Pakistan is a nuclear power, we have to keep that in mind. So that, I think, is going to be also a long-term geopolitical question, is what are these regional powers going to do, and what are we going to do in response or in, in a proactive way to shape the geopolitics of the region? And um, that's kind of an open question right now. Well, it looks like you know, Afghanistan, your predictions will continue to be tribal and at war within itself for at least yes. at least the near future and I, we do have some strategic interest there i see your points about pakistan but i'm i'm glad we're out of there personally and you know let's let somebody else you know fight these wars but i i do understand your point and that's why i get educated every time i talk to you greg <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. Um, but I, you know, I think that's where we stand right now. Uh, it's a whole new ball game, and we have to readjust our strategic and tactical pictures and figure out our priorities and, and take it from there. Well, I appreciate you joining us and helping explain an unexplainable situation in a lot of ways. But it's uh, it's always great. To, well, it's great to always get your views. Dr. Greg Granger has been our guest on Billy West Live. Thank you, Dr. Granger. Thank you. Bye.